Hi, and welcome to this edition of Fresh Hope for Mental Health. Our mission here at Fresh Hope for Mental Health is to empower you to live well in spite of your mental health challenge by sharing insights through interviews, practical tools for living well, encouragement, and courage for overcoming all from a Christian perspective. And now, here's your host, Pastor Brad Hafes. Hello, my friend, and welcome to Fresh Hope for Mental Health. I'm Brad Hafes, your host. Our purpose here on Fresh Hope for Mental Health is to empower you to live a faith-filled, rich, and full life in spite of having a mental health diagnosis. Today, we want to tell you about some exciting news that's happening here in the near future, and that is that we have a new book coming out for Fresh Hope. Um, It's called Fresh Hope, or it's called Holding to Hope, Staying Sane While Loving Someone with a Mental Illness. And so my co-author is my wife, Donna. Hello, Donna. Nice to have you here today. Hi, it's nice to be here. Yeah, it's nice to be anywhere after this pandemic, right? (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) So, yeah, um, some of you may have never heard the voice of my wife. Uh, I think we've done one other podcast together, maybe not. Um, We're trying to remember. But uh, so anyway, Donna and I met in uh, college and in 1979, we... We got married. Yes, we did. Yeah. And um, where did we get married? We got married in Mission Hills, California. Yeah. And we had a big wedding because she was the youngest child of four and the only girl. Yep. So we had a nice big wedding, nice fun celebration. And then we had a second celebration back in Nebraska, some three weeks later or something like that. And it was twice as big as our wedding was. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's what happens in those little towns. Um, So uh, the interesting thing is, is that then we moved to a small town and I finished college. And then uh, sooner or later, we headed to the seminary. And then we adopted our son and uh, I got a call then back to Nebraska at a, a large church here in Omaha. And uh, long story short, I became the senior pastor of that church. And in there, we had a little girl, yep. a baby. We had our second child. Yes. We always say, with the help of the medical profession, we yep. had a biological child. Yes. And so we have the best of both worlds. And... Um, our kids are now adults, and I'd hate to say how close one of them is to 40, but he knows <laughs> not all close. that long we'll have a 40-some-year-old son. So, um, And we've got four grandchildren that are just wonderful, and uh, we're glad we didn't hurt our children severely during their adolescent years so yeah. that we have grandchildren. So um, anyway, about... 10 years into living here. We moved to Omaha in 1985. And in 1995, um, because of me, because of my illness, our lives fell totally apart. So, um, you know, a lot of people that are at that point, we've got 25, 26, whatever years that is ago, um, behind us, 
that was just an absolutely incredibly painful time, was it not? It was very painful and very hard to walk through. And today I still have many events that took place that I just have no recollection of. It's sad, but on the other hand, I think that's God's uh, blessing to me that I can't remember some of what went on. Yeah, I suspect. And and there's many things that went on that I didn't know about at the time that you dealt with. And um, I honestly believe for those of you who are listening and maybe you love someone who has a mental illness, I, I honestly believe that it probably was harder for Donna than it was for me because I, I was getting medications, I was getting help, and she was having to experience it all without being able to, you know, there was no medicine, there was no, you know, whatever. You probably could if you wanted to, but um, you had to bear it. Yeah, and there was an aspect of it too where we protected you from what was going on outside Yeah, because it was just too much. Right. So for those of you who don't necessarily know my story, um, in 1995, I had a very manic public, very public manic episode, or a, a manic episode that landed up, ended up being made public. And um, it went on for the better part of over a year or more. And um, I ended up having to seek out medical help and was inpatient for about three weeks, I think, maybe even a little longer. Felt um, like an eternity. <laughs> yeah, it did. And um, and through that, I was diagnosed as having, uh, having bipolar disorder. And in yeah. fact, um, I had been getting sick for about a year and a half before that, and really longer than that, but really, really sick for about a year and a half to, to that point. Um, and because of all of it being made public, the church was saying one thing publicly, but behind the scenes they were doing something else and was forced to resign ultimately and to uh, and then another group of people from that church said, hey, this is a this is a mental health issue. We're going to start a church. So long story short, that's that's the basics of it. But you can begin to understand how your worst moment becomes public and what people say and what they think and all of those things. We lived through hell and back, it feels like. What, what's one of your most uh, strong or vivid memories, good or bad, through all of that, Donna? Well, the one that comes to my mind right away is just one particular person saying to us that we needed to move out of Omaha. We needed to go away. And this was someone who I had considered a friend. And so there, there was another round of betrayal for me, is that the people I thought I could trust, I found out many of them that I they were not safe. safe. They weren't safe for me. But thank God he did place some people in our lives that were exactly who we needed. Yeah, because looking back on it now, we were way too broken and too frail to be moving to another place and trying to have to make friends and cope with, oh, goodness gracious, yeah. It, it was an example of where the body of Christ did not have a way of 
they couldn't even fathom what they needed to do. And, you know, that was that many years ago when mental illness was really, really stigmatized. My, My experience with that is that the church did everything it shouldn't have done and did not do, except for maybe a few individuals, did not do what the body of Christ should have done. Yeah. Well, and we went weeks without anyone making any contact with us officially on the part of the church. Um, Now, we've forgiven. We're not bitter about it. Um, There's been a lot of reconciliation and a lot of healing. But uh, our book is really uh, not a rehearsal of what we went through. It's really more about what we've learned to be true and helpful and hopeful through all of the pain. We just want you to know that if you're going through a lot of pain right now, we are hope-filled examples of the fact that, yes, we have been through deep, 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 deep pain more than once, and more than just because of my having bipolar disorder. Um, We've lost Donna's mom to suicide years before this uh, because she had bipolar, and um, we've, we've walked through many things that Lots of people have walked through. Um, But we want you to know that, yes, we know what it's like to have pain. But we also know that if you don't deal with your pain, your pain will deal with you. And if you don't deal with your trauma, your trauma will deal with you. And so we've written this book, and it is specifically for those of you who love someone who maybe has hurt the family by their behavior, or um, you're just, you're kind of going nuts trying to love them, and yet they're not well. And so the book is really just filled with hope and uh, personal insights that we've learned over the years. And uh, Donna, it had to have been hard to love me back in the day. Uh, it, it had to have been hard to put up with everything. How, how did you do it? <laughs> By the grace of God, for sure. Um, I just took a day at a time. And, and I think the first time that we walked through this was much easier for me to love and care for you and be on your side and encourage you and yet knew I had to draw boundaries because... I knew emotionally there was only so much of this that I could handle in the future. Mm-hmm. But the second time was much harder for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very angry with mm-hmm. Brad for many years. Yeah, I relapsed, and yeah. it was because I had messed my medicine up, and um, yeah. everything almost repeated seven years yeah. afterwards. That one was harder for me, but... And it was a lot of um, on my knees with God to get through that. Um, A lot of it was just day to day, just taking sometimes seconds at a time to move forward. There were a lot of days where I was just devastated and I cried a lot. I spent, I remember sitting out in our backyard and just pleading to the Lord because I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how we were going to move forward or what our lives were going to look like. Mm -hmm. And he helped me. 
He mm-hmm. helped me get through that. I didn't always do well with it. And I learned along the way, just like Brad did, how to maneuver through all of this. Yeah, when you're going through hell, you can't stop. You just no. got to keep going. You, you, I got up every day. I took a shower. I got dressed. I fixed my hair because I knew for me that was one thing that kept me going. I got up and got ready for the mm. day. Yeah. And I did get chewed out for doing that one time by a counselor. And I mm. didn't agree with them because I knew for me personally, that was something I could do that gave me hope for today. Sure. Getting up like I would normally, doing something normal that I would have normally done was really helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, how, uh, tell me about one of the things, one of the insights that we talk about in the book is uh, being careful to uh, separate the illness, the the mental illness from the person. And um, because so many times it's called behavioral health because when your brain is not working right, you are going to, your behavior is going to be weird and it's not going to look good. And so um, tell me about that. Well, for me, I had known you long enough before the illness kind of was taken over. I knew who you were. I knew what you believed. And I knew the difference in the behaviors. I knew there there were behaviors I was seeing that I thought, where is this coming from? This is not who Brad is. Mm. And so that helped me because I did know who you were beforehand. Mm-hmm. And so walking through it, it was easier for me to see that, that um, I, I just knew the difference. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there were times where you wanted to say, your behavior is so ridiculous. Your, your way of thinking is so ridiculous. Change it. I, I suspect there were times you wanted me to just stop it. <laughs> yeah, there were times I wanted to say stop it. I think there were some times that I did tell you to stop it. Yeah. Um, and I didn't do that a lot because I didn't know myself. I could tell you to stop it, but I didn't know necessarily how to help you stop it. Mm-hmm. And so I had to learn about the, the disease also, even though all of my life I have lived with bipolar. Mm-hmm. My mother was bipolar. Mm-hmm. You're bipolar. Uh-uh. No, no, no. Your mother had it? My mom had it. it. You have it. It's not who you are. (laughs) But I've lived with that all of my life. And Mm -hmm. so um, it's familiar to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How did you keep from going insane during that time? (laughs) I think maybe I might have at times. (laughs) (laughs) You might have done what at times? (laughs) Lost my mind. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there were a few moments that we had, right? I get asked that question, and I'm not always sure that I have a concrete, I did this or I did that. I I just know that it's by God's grace that he just helped me take each day, day by day. I learned a little more and it got a little bit easier, but it it took a long time. It took a long time. And I could tell those of you who love somebody who has a mental illness that at the time of being sick, I'm certain that I did not believe Donna was on my side. There were times I was mean. I was I said cru- very cruel and hurtful things, and yet on the other side of it, I know that 
what she did and how she loved me through that was she did well. And if it had not been for that uh, love and that being there, but also calling my bluffs and calling, calling out certain things, if it had not been for her and others, but her, she's key in this, I don't know that I'd be alive today. Mm. I, I, I suspect at best I might be homeless on the street <laughs> trying to panhandle, you know, um, wearing one of those Live Generously t-shirts trying to panhandle money and smoking cigarettes. I don't know. Um, but... Well, yeah. I, I know this much. When you love somebody, you're going to do whatever you can to help them. And when you can't, you find somebody that can. Yeah. yeah. And so there were a group of men that finally came around and became Brad's accountability group. Mm-hmm. And I really only had to contact them twice through all these years. But I knew I had a group of people, if the situation got where I couldn't deal with it, mm-hmm. I could call them. And I had some girlfriends that I could call when I just felt so overwhelmed, and they would help me mm-hmm. walk through that. I had a friend that would just come and get me and just take me to do whatever she was doing just to get me out of the environment, mm-hmm. and that was extremely helpful. Well, and I think when um, everything happened in um, 95, uh, there were times where we tried to go do something, and I was so severely depressed. It was like death was sitting in the vehicle with us. Yeah, you could sense that for sure. But I knew there were times I made him go out because he wasn't going out, and he was just staying at home, and he needed to get out. And we needed to do something So special. what did you do? And I would tell him we were going to go to the Dairy Queen and have ice cream and he could go to this Dairy Queen or that Dairy Queen. But that was the only choice I gave him, which one we went to. He didn't have the choice to not go. And then we would get there and it would be, we're going inside and I would plead and beg to just go through the drive-through window, Um, you know, because I didn't want to be around people. I didn't want anybody to see me. And yeah, yeah, it, it, when I think about those days, oh my gosh, that was a horribly long summer because it happened in May and it wasn't until late August that I got help and we really needed help immediately. I needed help. We needed somebody to pluck us up out of the situation. And then you have all the church dynamics and all the politicking that goes on and the the brokenness there. And here I had given my life. I'd really become sick because of ministry, really. Um, it drove me. And um, I, I mean, I can't blame anybody but myself. But um, so... I think the other thing that I think of is that I did a lot of things that I just thought might be helpful. They weren't always helpful. Sometimes they were, and that's part of the process of learning what's helpful and what's not helpful. So I just, I used my instincts a lot because I didn't know Mm -hmm. what else to do. And there's a lot of those insights in the book, Um, you know, and we're not trying to get you to buy a book per se, but... um, it's too de- there's too many things to really talk about within a podcast to say here's practical things you know uh, I think we have one part um, that is either in the book or it's one of the um, 
blog posts that we have on 30 things you can do for somebody who's depressed. 30 simple things, you know, um, because uh, what works for one doesn't necessarily work for everybody. Right. And we've had to help a lot of friends and family through situations like this through the years, too. And, and so we have those insights and we have the insights of watching other people. So, um, yeah, the, the other thing is, is I think the underlying thing, and a lot of marriages could not have sustained what we went through. Um, I do think both of us have a deep commitment um, to the marriage and to being there for one another no matter what. And certainly you have been pushed to the brink of uh, where most people would have said, uh, I'm done. I'm done. And uh, certainly I knew that there were things, if I went too far, if things went too far, I, she wasn't going to be there. And she set that boundary early and said, I can do this as long as you do the work that you need to do. Um, it wasn't that if you make any mistakes now, I'm out. It wasn't that. She gave grace and mercy, but she did say, if you're not willing to do what you need to do, like taking your medicine and taking it faithfully, I can't do this. I'm not going to do it, is basically what you said. And I, I didn't always handle it well either, because, I, you know, as anybody, there are days you handle it better than other days. Sure. So there were times where I just got stubborn about it <laughs> and just, I just did. Yeah. Well, and, you know, even in maybe not always handling it perfectly, there are no perfect ways to handle it. Right. Sometimes it's just which is going to be the lesser of the offensive things that one says or does. And, um, uh, you know, so it, it's one of those deals where I think those of you who love somebody, um, you need to take care of yourself um, because the other person... You know, you need to not ride on their roller coaster as much as possible. You need to be there if there's children for the children. You need to be able to um, have time where you're doing some restorative uh, emotional work because you're going through warfare and you can't just stay on the battlefield 24-7 for two years solid. Right. Remember the day that we went to Dr. Egger's office and we were sitting in there and we were probably talking about how we'd been treated by somebody or I think it was even somebody that had seen us in the mall and we used to call it sliming when they would pretend yeah. to care, you know, or it wasn't that they didn't, you know, oh, how are you, you know, and life had moved on for us. We had gotten healing and all of this. Oh, how are you? We heard that you're working on a cruise ship. That was one of the things that came around to us and it was like we're working on a cruise ship uh, doing music on a cruise ship that's hilarious when in fact what it was is we had gone on a number of cruises <laughs> and anyway um i think we were going on and on about this to the doctor and he said to the two of us quit taking all of this so seriously do you remember that? Yeah, and it's hard when you're in all, in all of that not to be so serious about life, and you really have to take breaks because otherwise it will eat you alive. Yeah, you do. And you don't have to be eaten alive. you you got to deal with it as it comes. 
the best that you can, learn what you can, and you will make it through. Yeah. And and to be committed to going through it. Yeah. Um, Commitment is number one. Yeah. Got to be committed. You know, the way through it is forward. The way through it is step by step. Um, Donna, maybe talk to the listener right now that's listening to the podcast that loves somebody who has a mental health issue. Um, Talk to them directly, like uh, just pretend like I'm that person or whatever and speak to them. And then I'm going to speak to the person who has a diagnosis. And we're going to imagine that they're in the worst of the worst spots right now. So, yeah, the first thing I would that I want to say to you is um, tell me what happened. And then I and then I would ask you, what was the hardest part? So many times people don't want to ask Mm -hmm. you what the hardest part was, but you need to get it out. Mm -hmm. So what was the hardest part? And then um, just take it a day at a time. Mm -hmm. Don't look too far down the road because it's too overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Keep it in the present. Um, Make sure you're spending some time alone to restore yourself, to re-energize yourself. Um, find that one friend that that you trust, and sometimes that's hard to do, but you will find them, mm-hmm. and and ask them to be your encourager, mm-hmm. the person that that you need somebody that just will come and get you sometimes and get you out of the environment mm-hmm. and do something fun. It's really important to take breaks. You need to take breaks because it's too intense. But I can tell you, I've, if you do this and you take one day at a time, you will you will get through and you'll figure out how to do the dance that you and that person will do. Mm-hmm. And it will work. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to talk to those of you who have a diagnosis. And if you have a spouse, I'm going to assume that your spouse loves you. Now, I'm going to tell you that not every spouse is a safe spouse. Um, not everybody has the emotional ability or availability to help because sometimes their own brokenness and their own um, trauma from the past keeps them from being able to love you well. But assuming that they are attempting to do that, first of all, acknowledge that. Understand that. They're not your enemy. And you're not alone, and, um, but they are not the enemy. Your, your little monster of bipolar disorder or depression or anxiety disorder or your own emotional baggage, that's, those things are the enemies. And um, so work with the one who is loving you. And um, it's okay for you to draw boundaries, too, and say, this is helpful, that's not helpful, that triggers me, um, this doesn't trigger me, um, you know. And sometimes the same thing is good one time and the next time it's not. So, you know, it's complex. It's, you're, you're, you are not the disorder. And I remember feeling like I was a terrible, no good, very bad monster. And I, was a, I, I felt like I was trying to keep the monster in. 
And I had this outside shell that was Brad, but this monster kept pushing through and was pushing Brad and put, you know, and it wasn't me, but I didn't know if there was anything of me left. And uh, so make that thing the thing, not you as a person. And then let that other person love you. Let them care for you. Let them speak truth. And it's okay if you don't agree with their the, how they see it, but hear them and understand them. Yeah. And I would add one more thing is don't take everything personally. Yeah. That's the hard. I think that was really a hard one to know because sometimes it felt very personal, mm-hmm. but it wasn't. And learning how to balance that out is really important. Well, and sometimes those of us with the diagnosis, we lash out out of anger because we're just as frustrated, but we don't have, we don't know where to put the frustration, you know, and um, it's when you're depressed, you're already, uh, depression is basically described rightfully so, I think, as anger turned inward, and um, you're already very angry with yourself, so and when you start lashing out at others, that means that you just don't have words sometimes. Yeah. And I would also say if you're feeling extremely overwhelmed, you need to talk to your doctor too. And I did for a while take some antidepressants because it was just more than I could handle. Mm-hmm. But that helped me get through. Well, and it hadn't been all that many years after your mom's death. My after mom her, and my dad. Yeah. Had your dad, had, especially just a year or two before that a died. Year, a year before. Yeah. yeah. So, yes, there's no shame in being the loved one who takes antidepressants or who also sees a counselor. In yeah. fact, that's probably a very wise thing to do. Yeah. And we did do a lot of counseling mm-hmm. those first years, which really was the key to helping us through. Yep. Yeah. And um, the other thing that I would say that was very key is I always gave Donna permission to talk to the doctor. I always gave the doctor permission to talk to her. She always could call him. She could ask any questions she wanted to. She was always welcome to come on any of the appointments with me. And there were many times where she did at first go to the doctor with me because I wasn't always able to remember how I had been doing. You know, if I was having a good day, then I was doing well. <laughs> if I had a bad day, everything was bad, you know. Yeah. So, um, well, would you pray for the people listening, Donna? Yes. And then we'll close this podcast. Sure. Father, I just pray for each and every person that's listening today, Lord, that you would reach down to them, Lord, and just hold them tight. If they're walking in the middle of a crisis, Lord, that you would give them hope that there is a future beyond this. Mm -hmm. Lord, I pray that you would just encourage them, Lord, give Mm -hmm. them strength, give them insight, give them wisdom beyond their ability to ever understand or know what to do. Mm Mm-hmm. Lord, but most of all, we pray for hope. We pray for their families, Lord, who are also affected by this, for their children, that your loving hands of protection would be around them. Mm -hmm. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. 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 Well, thank you, Donna, for being a guest today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Well, you know, it's pretty bad when we have to schedule a time to do this and we can't just spontaneously say, okay, we're going to do it. But um, anyway, thank you very much. And thank you for loving me through um, and loving me well, in spite of how I might still act here and there. (laughs) I do love you. That's not mental illness. It's just That's Brad. (laughs) That's me being a man and being Brad and having my personality. And by the way, she's not perfect. No, far from it. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to point that out because she's a lot more perfect than I am. But we'll leave it at that for today. Well, my friend, I hope this honesty and transparency has been helpful to you. I'm praying that it will it will have been. Um, we'd really love to hear from you. You can write us at Pastor Brad at FreshHope.us, Pastor Brad at FreshHope.us with questions, comments, um, criticisms, suggestions, whatever it might be. Um, and you can connect with us on social media in all sorts of ways. And you might be wondering, okay, when's this book out? How do I get a hold of it? Um, it, the release date, we, at the time of recording this, do not know the specific release date, but, um, we will be advertising that through our Facebook page. It will be on our website. It will be in all the normal places, but I can tell you this, that if you're just really wondering, go to amazon.com and type in, um, holding to hope. By Brad and Donna Hafes, H O E F S, or Holding to Hope, Staying Sane While Loving Someone with a Mental Illness. Because when it's available, it will be there in, on Amazon. You'll be able to order it there, or you'll be able to order it through uh, Fresh Hope. And if you want a signed copy, we can do that too. And um, if you have questions about the book, by the way, we wrote the book in such a way that. Um, People can go through it together. It could you could work through it with other people who love people who have a mental health issue, and um, it really is very engaging. We did it in a very healing sort of way, and uh, so I would encourage you to pick up a copy and um, just contact our office if you need to know how to get a hold of it. Donna answers the phone, and uh, you'll hear her voice saying, Fresh Hope Offices, or whatever you say. (laughs) So would you mind doing us a favor? Um, If you're receiving the podcast through iTunes, would you mind writing an honest review of today's podcast? Um, We'd really appreciate that. That helps your review, causes it to be picked up more by iTunes and suggestions for people searching iTunes podcasts. And of course, we not only have this new book coming out, but we have Fresh Hope for Living Free, um, or now what is it called? No, it's called Fresh Hope, Living Well in Spite of a Mental Health Diagnosis, and um, that's available in English and Spanish, and this book will also be available at a little bit later date in Spanish. So we have groups online, in person, Check it out. Go to freshhope.us. And be sure and tell your friends about this program. Again, Donna, thank you. Thank you. Now, now, my friend, until the next time, may the Lord fill you with his hope, fresh and new daily. I'm Brad Hafes, and this has been another edition of Fresh Hope for Mental Health.
You've been listening to Fresh Hope for Mental Health. If you have an opportunity, please review, share, and subscribe to the Fresh Hope for Mental Health podcast on iTunes or on the service that you use. We encourage you to share our podcast on social media with your friends and family. Previous podcasts of Fresh Hope for Mental Health can be found at freshhopeformentalhealth.com, iHeartRadio, Stitcher Radio, and iTunes. Fresh Hope is one of the leading networks of faith-based peer support groups internationally. For more information about Fresh Hope, go to freshhope.us.